if you believe what you're just saying about, can you say amen? Amen. amen? amen. We are glad to hear this. You have a seat this morning. We are so glad that you're here. A couple of things before we jump right into it. First of all, I want to say on behalf of my family, when, when Sonia was in the hospital and all that, the calls, the, the messages, as well as the um, food, most importantly, the food, we are very grateful for. Thank you. We know we are loved and we are very grateful for that. We really appreciate you. And then also we're excited because uh, my mom is here with us today. So she's right back there. So she had to come check you out. So there she is right there. You wave, mom. There you go. Yeah, so she wanted to come check these folks out. So anyway, we're glad you're here this morning. And we've been in this series for several weeks now called For Something More. And the whole goal of this series really has been this, is that for many of us in our lives, if we were just honest, we would say this, that for many of us in our lives, we tend to go through life in just survival mode, right? I mean, we wake up on the morning, especially Monday mornings, and we just hope to make it to nighttime, right? We just hope to make it to bed and nothing catastrophic happens, and we just kind of get into this survival mode, and even this mode of just sheer existence. And if some of you today, if you really were thinking about your life, you would say that's your story. That right now, where you find yourself today, I mean, you're glad you're here. You felt loved. You felt welcomed. We're glad you're here. But at the end of the day, what you really feel is this, that I'm just, I'm just kind of working my way through life. I'm just existing, and I'm just surviving. Well, here's what the whole series has been about is this, is that God has more for you than that. That's not what God wants for you. He doesn't want you just to exist, just to survive. He has more for you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the more he has for you is eternal life. What he desires more than anything else is for you to be in a relationship with him and to receive eternal life. That's the more he has for you. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you're like me and you have a relationship with Christ, he doesn't want you just to exist and just to survive. He has the abundant life for you. Remember in John 10, 10, it says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it what? More abundantly. Say it with me. Abundantly. That's what he has for you. And so we kind of, week one, we kind of painted that picture of what God has for us. And then since then, we've been talking about this, that while that's what God designs for us to have this abundant life, there are a lot of things in life that seem to distract us from that. There are a lot of things in life that seem to pull us away from the abundant life that Christ has for us. So we've talked about things like this. We've talked about having a religious mindset versus a mindset that says it's not about rituals, rotten tradition. It's about a relationship with the Lord. And many of us, the reason we're not experiencing abundant life is we think our relationship with Jesus is all about the do's and don'ts instead of building a rapport and a relationship with him. We've talked about that. Then we talked about things like regret. And man, I'm telling you, that's the one I got a ton of comments because most of us find ourselves living in a place of regret. And regret keeps us from living the abundant life that Christ has for us. Then we talk about living a life of mediocrity, how we just kind of settle. Now, I'm not talking about your spouse, but I'm talking about we settle for just average living, just an average passion for Christ. And we talked about how God doesn't want us to live a life of mediocrity. And then last week we talked, or a couple weeks ago, we talked about the idea that when we have a relationship with Jesus, that for many of us, we treat it just as a decision that we made a long time ago, rather than a decision that affects every day. A decision that affects every day, my relationship and my growth in Jesus. And then last week we talked about a big one. We talked about one of the biggest things that keeps us from experiencing the abundant life is isolation. Many of us in the room try to live life on our own. We try to do life on our own. And what we found out last week was this, is that we were built for community. Amen? 
Now, only the people in small groups said amen. The rest of you like, nope. I mean, we were all built for community. We were. In fact, last week we talked about what does biblical community really look like. Now, today I want to give us one more. And then next week, Pastor Mercer is going to be here, and he's going to wrap up the series talking about living a life on mission. But there's one more thing that I want us to focus on that I really believe that keeps us from experiencing the abundant life as a believer, and it's this, and I want you to write it down. It's our focus our focus now let me explain what I mean for many of us if if you would agree with me that when life happens it always happens up close and personal doesn't it I mean it happens right now and everything is so urgent and the fire's big and it's got to be dealt with I mean when life happens it is up close and it is personal right and for many of us we are only and solely focused on the immediate situations and circumstances in life rather than being focused on the life to come now, listen to me, and you've got to hear this because this is the brainwave I've got to get you on this morning is this, is that many of us are focused on the now and we neglect the life that is to come. Now, listen, if you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, let me just say something to you that's going to be very important. You can spend the rest of your life focused on the immediate. Focus on the here and now, the situation, the circumstances, the troubles, the pain, the agony of the moment, and never be minded about the life to come. But one day, one thing we all know is true, unless Jesus comes again, we are all going to what? Die. All of us. And at death comes the life after. Comes the afterlife. And at death, that's it. The Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. When we die, we will stand before a holy God and we will give an account for our life. And basically the account will give, do we know Jesus as our Savior or do we not? We will be technically, I mean, we will be asked this question. What did you do with Jesus? Did you trust him as your Savior or did you reject him and deny him? And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and if you're focused on the immediate here and now and you never think about the life to come, you may let this life slip you by and you may slide into eternity never thinking about what life holds for you on the other side. And if you've never accepted Christ, let me tell you what it holds for you. It holds an eternal separation in a place called hell. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody today, but what I'm trying to get you to this. We've got to look beyond just the now and think about the life to come. And if you're like me and you're a follower of Jesus today, most of us, we focus on the immediate situations. We focus on the immediate uh, uh, concerns and circumstances, and we don't focus on the life to come. We don't think about the life to come. Because listen, as a believer, the life to come is the motivation for how we live this life, isn't it? In fact, if you read the Apostle Paul, I mean, this guy, he was obsessed with the life to come. He said crazy things. He said this, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. He's like, man, I'm going to live and I'm going to be like Christ and this is awesome, this life that I have, but when I die, oh, there's something that's coming that's way better than this life. He said crazy things like this, that if I could lose my salvation so if you could gain it because I know what's coming, I would do it. The end of 1 Corinthians, he spends two whole chapters talking about the resurrection of the dead, how one day Jesus is going to come, and when we see him, we shall be like him. At the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians, he talks about there's going to be a trumpet sound, the heavens are going to part, and Jesus come back. Why? Because Paul believed the life to come is the motivation for how we live this life. He believed that, so we should believe that. But we don't, right? We just get wrapped up right now, and I get it. Life happens, right? Life just happens. Disease happens. Divorce happens. Financial struggles happen. 
And then life just happens, and we seem, when that happens, we seem to let those situations and those circumstances preoccupy our hearts and preoccupy our minds. And because of that, we lose sight, don't we? We lose sight of the life that Christ called us to live, and we lose sight of the life to come. And it's the life to come that's the motivation for the life that I live. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to ask this question. How do I recapture? How do I recapture my focus? If I've lost my focus, if I've gotten so driven by the circumstances, situations of life and neglected the life to come and letting that be my motivation, how do I regain my focus? How do I let the life to come motivate me in the life that I'm living? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at me in Colossians chapter 3. You can turn to the very end of your Bible and start working backwards, or you can use the table of contents. Contents, but in Colossians chapter 3 is where I'm going to be this morning. Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. It says this, Paul writes this to the church of Colossae. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for this verse. May you help us unpack it today. And as we look at the life to come, may it motivate us to how we live this life. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, listen, there's a couple, there's a couple three things here that I want you to see with me this morning. That when we think about how does the life to come motivate me in how I live this life, I think there's really three things Paul points out. The first one is this, is that we need to focus on our position in Christ. We need to focus on our position in Christ. Now, I've got to do a little bit of explaining with that one because what Paul, before we get there, what Paul says out of the gate here, he says, if you have been raised with Christ. Now, that word if, we all know this, that word if is a conditional word, right? It, like your kids, if you do your homework, you get this. If you don't do your homework, the paddle, right, or whatever you do, timeout, whatever you do, right? I mean, there's a conditional phrase. In this particular spot in the Greek language, this word if is not a conditional if. It is an assertive if. In fact, the translation should be since you've been raised with Christ. In fact, many of your translations may say that. Since you've been raised with Christ. So what, who's Paul talking to? He's talking to believers in the church of Colossae, people there that are following Jesus, meaning people that were there in this church, this, this Colossian church, who have realized that they were dead in their sins. In fact, he reminds them in chapter 2, don't look there, but he's, in the first two chapters, it's all about doctrine. Look what Paul says. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart. God made you alive together with Christ. I mean, he's reminding them of their story. He's reminding this church of Colossae that there was a point where you totally were rebellious toward God. There was a point where you were far from God, but you recognized you were a sinner, and you recognized your need for a Savior, and you died to yourself, and you gave your life to Christ. And so you have been raised with Jesus, is what he's saying here. That's who he's talking to. But I want you to get the kind of the overarching idea about their position in Christ. Because in these four verses, he tells them their position. And it's this. You write this down. They are united with Christ. They are united with Christ. Now look at some of the phrases he uses. Verse 1, he says this. You've been raised with Christ. That phrase, raised with Christ, is really addressing their salvation. And you may have heard this last week when I baptized. I said this. I said, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. 
That's what I said. Some people say raised to walk in newness of life. That when someone comes to faith in Christ, there's a resurrection that happens. There's a death to the old, and you are, given, you are a new creation. You are a new creature in Christ. And so he says, you've been raised with Christ. You have died, but you are raised. I mean, you are a new person. It's not you anymore. It's Christ in you. And then in verse 3, he says this. He says, uh, you have died. Now look at verse 3 with me real quickly. He says this. He says, um, you, for you have died, for your life is hidden with Christ. Now, in the uh, Greek language, it would have translated like this. For you have died with Christ, and you are hidden with Christ. But because when translators translate, they don't want to be over-redundant. They just said, you have died, and you have been hidden with Christ. So really, it should be translated, you have died with Christ. Now, what do you think he's talking about there? He's talking about this union we have with Christ. That there's a point when we understood our sin nature and we died to self. There was a death. Just like Jesus died physically, something died in us spiritually. We died to the old sinful self. He's comparing the union. And then he says you are hidden with Christ in God. He's talking about security. I mean, God the Father always had Jesus the Son in his hands, right? Come on, are you with me? Say, I got you. I mean, was he ever out of the scope of the hands of the Father? No. And he says, you have died, and you've been raised, and you're securely planted in the hands of the Father, just like Jesus himself. One of my favorite verses in John 10, 28, Jesus says that when you've received eternal life, that you're in the Father's hand, and no one can pluck you out. For some of you today that are wrestling with eternal security, you need to chew on that verse a whole lot. Because that, you know what the word no, no one means? I know you're saying it means no one. It literally means, in the original language, it means no one, nobody, no thing. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. If you are trusting Jesus and you've trusted Jesus, you're in the palm of the Father's hands and nothing can take you out. Nothing can take you out. And he's saying, listen, you are secure in, with Christ in God as the church of Colossae. And then he says this in verse 4. Or yeah, verse four, 4, he says this. He says, Christ, who is your life, meaning he is your Lord and he is your Savior. Now, I want you to think about this just for a minute. He's talking to them about their position in Christ. And what he's saying is, you're united with him. Just as Jesus died, you died. Just as Jesus raised from the dead, you've been raised. Just as Jesus secured in the hands of the Father, you are secure. Jesus is your life. You've been united with Christ. Now listen to me. That, you, that idea of being united is a marital term, isn't it? It's really a term used in marriage. In fact, Genesis 2.24 says this, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and go unite with his wife and the two shall become what? One. It's this idea of union that happens. Listen, when you trusted Jesus as your Savior, he's saying, listen, Church of Colossae, when you trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have a union with Christ. You are one in Christ. You are one with Christ. There is a relationship there that is absolutely unexplainable. It's like a marriage relationship. And the reason we need to know that is because Scripture says that the church, the believers, are the bride of Christ. We belong to him. When we trusted him, we are one with him. And he wants this early church to remember that they are not to forget their position in Christ. And I'm just telling you, and I know this is a tough topic to think about, but for us as believers, we can't forget that. That if we're really going to let the life that's to come motivate the life we live, 
we need to be reminded of our position in Christ. That if you've truly trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you're united with him. You are one with him. The life you live is not your life. My favorite verse, Nancy, I talked about this last week, Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified, what? With Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. This isn't my life. It's Christ living in me. Now listen, if that is your story today and you know that you've been united with Christ, this position matters. You know, in fact, how many of you served in the military? Let me see how many served in the military. Man, thank you guys for your service. Awesome. Somebody tell me a branch you served in. Ronnie, tell me the branch you served in. Army. Okay, what is the highest position anybody in the Army can attain? A general. What is the lowest position? Private. Okay, so would a private in the Army ever disrespect a general by treating him like that position doesn't matter at all. What would happen if that happened, Ronnie? We can't talk about it. Okay, we just can't talk about it, right? Because a general has earned his stripes. He's earned his position. And if a private were to disrespect him, that is big news. Listen to me. You have a position in Christ. And don't you disregard it because your position matters. You've been united and you're one with Christ. Listen to me. Because we are united with Christ, the Bible says that I am forgiven by God. I have been redeemed by God. I am accepted by God. I have the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in inside of me. I am a child of God and I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God which is heaven. That is your story. That is your story. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are one with Christ. You have been forgiven. You're redeemed. You're accepted. You're sealed. You're his child and you have a home waiting for you in heaven. The reason Paul drills down on this is because he wants them to know the life that is coming should be the motivation for how we live this life. So don't forget your position in Christ. Don't forget what you mean to him. Now here's why this is so important. This is not in your notes. I want you to write this down. It's because of this. Our position reminds us of our purpose. Our position in Christ, that I am united with Christ, I am a child of God, and I'm a citizen of heaven, reminds me of my purpose. And my purpose is, is to share that message with the world that I live in. Amen? See, where you work is not your mission in life. That is your platform. Your mission and your purpose in life is to tell people about Jesus, that's your purpose. That's your mission. Where you tend to work and hit the, the button, you clock in or you clock out, or where you tend to find your life, that is your platform. That is not your purpose. Your purpose is to share Christ. And when I'm reminded of my position, that I belong to him, I'm his child, I'm united with him, and I have a home that waits me in heaven, that reminds me of my purpose. But listen, my, my, my position also fuels my passion. My position also fuels my passion. Hey, listen. When you think about, as pitiful as we all are, as wretched as we all are, when you think about that you have been forgiven, when you think about that you have been saved, when you think about you have been accepted, and when you think about you have become the adopted child of God, and you think about that Jesus is preparing your room and his mansion for all eternity right now. Does that fire you up just a little bit? Because listen, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty bad. 
I'm pretty wretched. I mean, I've got some stuff in my life that you don't really want to know about. I mean, there's some things that's happened to me or some things I've done or things that I've said. Listen, and when I look at this and I look at what Paul is saying, I'm reminded that because of who I am in Christ, because of my position with Christ, because I'm his child and I'm redeemed and I have a home waiting for me, I mean, that fuels my passion because guess what? I want everybody to come with me. If heaven's what awaits for me, don't we want to take as many people as possible with us? Some of you aren't concerned about that, right? Do you want to take as many people as possible, or do you want them to rot in a place called hell? No. And so listen, we've got to, if we're going to let the life to come motivate us for how we live this life, we've got to focus on our position in Christ. Second thing we have to do is focus on eternal things. Look with verse 1 and 2 again. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Now, there's two commands that Paul, that Paul gives. First is to seek. The second is to set. He says, seek things above and set your heart on things above. Now, literally, the idea of seeking is talking about what are you pursuing? What is the greatest desire of your heart? What is the chief pursuit of your life is what he's saying. And then to set means you know, set our minds on things above. He's talking about, you know, what, what preoccupies your thinking. I mean, what is the mindset that you approach this world with? What is your worldview? Now, here's what he's saying. I want you to seek things above. Now, here's what he means. I want you above everything else to pursue becoming more like Jesus. So when I first read this, I thought, you know, when talking about seeking things above, is he talking about like seeking the throne of heaven? No. Talking about seeking out like the angels of heaven? No. I mean, the saints of heaven? No. What's he talking about? What's the most important thing in heaven? Come on. What's the most important thing in heaven? God is. To the person of who? Jesus. I mean, when we get to heaven, what is the beautiful thing about heaven is that we will spend all of eternity in the presence of our Savior. Amen? That's it. And so for us, we've got to focus on eternal things. That, listen, I want you to seek things above. I want the chief pursuit of your life to become more like Christ. I want your life to reflect the tenderness of Christ. I want your life to reflect the kindness of Christ. I want your life to reflect the forgiveness of Christ. I want your life to reflect the love of Christ. That's why Jesus himself said this, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He says, I want the chief pursuit of your life to becoming more like Christ. So seek things above. Then he says, I want you to set your mind on things above. You know what he's talking about? He said, I want you to be eternally minded. I want you to focus on eternal things. Jesus said it this way. Don't store for yourself treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy, but store for yourself treasures where? In heaven. Now, some of you are thinking, well, how do I get my financial portfolio transferred over to heaven, right? Or how do, how do I get the home that I just built a lot of money, built? I mean, you know, we think in those kind of crazy terms. But what he's saying is, listen, the investment we make, are making, what are we making the investment in? Are we investing in earthly things? I mean, many of us, if we were really honest, would say we wrestle with the desire to collect stuff, the newest stuff. The best stuff. I mean, how many of you are Apple people in the room that love Apple, okay? 
Some of you are like slobbered yourself when you saw the new iPhone that's coming out. And you're like, you know, it doesn't matter that it's $1,500. I mean, I'm going to save up and I'm just going to do all this. I'm, I mean, we just get so driven by stuff. How many of you like to fish or alligator hunt or whatever that, you know, on the water? Okay, the liars, there's a bunch of you. I know who you are. Okay. And so you're like, you're like the newest, the best, the fastest boat. I mean, I mean, we get all driven by stuff. And he says, listen, I want you to be eternally minded. Now, please hear me. There are only two things that last for all eternity. Only two things. Here they are. The word of God and the souls of men. That's it. And my question is, are you investing in either one? In our lives, are we investing in making this word part of our life? And are we investing in the souls of other people? Because listen, here's the great news and the tragic news. There's going to come a day for every person, they're going to stand before a king, and they're going to give an account what they did with Jesus. And those who know him, reward. Those who don't, eternal punishment. Do you understand or do I understand that this life is nothing but a blip on the radar of eternity? The world that we live in from the beginning of Adam and Eve until when Jesus decides to come back, it is nothing but a blip on the radar of the grand scheme of all eternity. And what are we investing in? Are we spending our time investing in earthly things that are going to rust and moth are going to destroy that mean nothing? Are we investing in people? Hey, look around. And I did this a couple weeks ago. Look around. What do you see in the room? What do you see in those chairs? What do you see in the other chairs? Empty. Now, they're not as empty as they were a couple weeks ago when I said it. But I can tell you what. You know what I see? Those are people. Those are people that need to be here. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus. They need to hear the love of Christ. They're people. Who's going to invest in them? Well, you're the pastor. But I'm called to equip the saints to do the work of the kingdom. Uh, that's you now, right? Who's going who, who's gonna to go after them? Well, Doug, you just don't know my neighbor. I mean, they, I mean, I have a neighbor that I love. He's like awesome, and he was telling me about a neighbor down the road, and his name is Machete Frank. And so I said, why Machete Frank? And he's like, because the, he got in an argument with the neighbor across the street, and he pulled out a machete. And I, and I mean, you may be like, Doug, I can't reach my neighbors because I got some crazy neighbors. I got a Machete Frank in my neighborhood. Listen, Jesus died for them too. And in your own way, you're just as jacked up as they are. It may not be a machete. It may be something else. I'm just as jacked up as they are, right? Listen, we have to be eternally minded. And the only way to be eternally minded, listen to me, the only way is to make this book, this word, poured into my life. The only way to be eternally minded is to reject living and loving the world that we live in. Well, Doug, I shouldn't love the world. That's exactly what I said. First John says, anyone who loves the world thinks the world does not have the love of the Father in him. We've got to reject living and loving for this world and we have to have a strong prayer life. We've got to have moments where we get on our knees before a holy God and ask for wisdom and direction and strength and courage and boldness. And we have to be, listen, write this down. We have to be intentional. You're not going to invest in other people accidentally. It doesn't just happen. I don't believe in accidental occurrences. I believe in divine appointments. And I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you have to be intentional. We have to be intentional to invest in people. If we are going to use the life to come to motivate this life, we have to focus on our position in Christ, but we also have to focus on eternal things. One more thing I want you to notice. Look at me in verse 4. It says this, when Christ, who is your life, now pause there. What is Paul saying? My life is wrapped up in Jesus. Now think about that. He's not part of my life. He what? is my life. Now, I could have preached a whole message on that. 
Because that's a question we all have to ask. Is Jesus just part of our life? Or is he our life? Is he what shapes and the direction and my thoughts and where I'm headed and what I'm doing, how I treat people, the relationship? I mean, is he, everything I do, does it generate it from, you know, who Jesus is and what he means to me? Or is he just a part of my life? Is he in the room, the church-going room? Where I, I go to church, I pick up a little Jesus with me and take him with me to church. And, you know, Jesus is with me. You know, I praise Jesus. You know, how great thou art, you know. And we walk out and we put him back in the room. I mean, that's Jesus being part of your life. I'm saying he, is he your life? Is, is he your life? Totally. And so here's what Paul says. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. In other words, we need to focus on our future. Focus on our future. He says, listen, there should be an anticipation of the one who is coming. There should be an anticipation of what awaits us. Have you ever sat down and thought about heaven? Have you? I know that for some worship leaders, and Patrick may feel this way, he may not, but I know for some worship leaders, one of the songs that people have become increasingly grown weary of is a song I can only imagine. I mean, you talk to people that have heard a long time, they're like, my gosh, I've heard that song so many times. But I'm going to tell you, that was my dad's favorite song. And a couple weeks ago, I was at a funeral, um, and one of the staff members at Oviedo Campus sang, I can only imagine. And I'm telling you, tears rolling down my cheeks because that song takes me someplace that I don't go every day. It takes me a place of wondering, what's it going to be like when I get there? And you know the lyrics, you know, surrounded by his glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Most of us probably wouldn't. You know, or in all of you be still, will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah if I'm able to sing it all? I can only imagine. Listen, don't let that get out of your focus. There's a kingdom that's awaiting us. There's a Savior who can't wait to call us home when that time comes. That's what's for us. We must focus on our future, knowing that's what waits for us. When we focus on our future, it reminds us that earth is not our home, that we are aliens and strangers, Scripture says, that this is not our home, that we have a home waiting for us. And it also reminds us of the urgency we should have because there's other people. There are other people who don't know Christ, and where will they spend all eternity? So focusing on our future reminds us that this is not our home. It also brings us peace, comfort, and joy when times in life get really hard. Because listen, guess what? When we get there, there is no more pain. There's no more sorrow. No more tears. No more disease. No more arthritis. No more aches. No more pains. No more strife. No more conflict. None of that's there. Right? And so when I think about the future, even in the times of trouble here, it brings me peace. It brings me hope, and it brings me encouragement. Now, here's what I believe to be true today. I believe some of us, if we were honest, would say, hey, I've simply lost my focus. I am so driven by the world today, the events, situations, circumstances today. I'm driven, and my, my focus and my attention is just on the current moment. I'm not minded that way. I'm not minded about the life to come. And I just want to challenge you this morning with this, that if we're going to let the life to come motivate us how we live this life, we've got to focus on these things. We've got to focus on our position. We've got to focus on the fact that we are the child of the Most High God and we have a kingdom that waits us. And we are united with him. And that should drive our purpose and that should drive our passion. 
And we must focus on eternal things. We need to start investing in people, start investing in their souls and investing Jesus into them. And we need to focus on our future because that's the carrot at the end of the stick. That's why Paul says, forgetting what is behind, I press on to win the prize. What is the prize for us? 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 Eternal life in heaven, right? So I have three questions today I want you to think about. Number one, do you know your position in Christ? Do you really know that today, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if Jesus were to call you home right now, that you would spend eternity with him forever? Do you know your position? Do you know that you have been forgiven and you're accepted and you're loved and you've trusted him as your Savior? Do you know you've been united with him? If not, in a moment when we sing, don't let today slide by. Don't leave here not knowing. But if you do know, here's a question for you. Have you lost your focus? Are you so focused on the world and earthly things that you aren't focused on eternal things anymore? Are you letting the future that awaits us motivate you to live this life? See, if you're a follower of Jesus, listen to me. If you're a follower of Christ, life is but a vapor. And if you would say today, Doug, I have lost my focus. I've been focused on this, this life and not focused on what God wants me to focus on. Here's one word I want you to do today, and it's the word repent. I want you to confess it to the Lord. I want you to find yourself on your knees at an altar, and I want to find yourself praying and saying, Lord, I commit to be more focused on eternal things. Lord, I commit to be focused on my future. Lord, I commit to not let the fact of my position with you, me just blow it off. I want to celebrate that, and I want to motivate me to share my faith with everybody I come in contact with. Lord, I'm committing, and I'm repenting today of my loss of focus. Would you help me get my focus back today? Some of us, that's your prayer. And if you don't know Christ, life is a vapor. And where will you spend eternity? What will you do with Jesus today? Will you accept him as your savior or continue down the path you're headed out? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand up, every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. I just want to ask a couple of questions. Just between you and the Lord, nobody's going to be looking around. Just every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and say, you know what, Doug? I do not know my position. I don't know if I were to die today where I'd spend eternity. If that's you, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to corner you. I just want to be praying for you. Would you just slip your hand and put it right back down? Just if you don't know your position, just put it up and down. Nobody's looking. Just up and down, up and down. Thank you. Thank you. Up and down. Thank you. Up and down. Thank you. If that's you today, would you just say, Lord Jesus, I know that I sin. I know that I'm a sinner and I struggle. But today, I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and change my life. And if you will do that, he will come into your life and he will save you and he will change you. And if you're a believer today and you say, Doug, I think I've lost my focus. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Lost your focus. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lost your focus. Would you repent today? And may, as I say this, most weeks, may the posture of your heart today be reflected in your physical posture today. If you're able and willing and can, if that's you and you want to regain that focus and make a new commitment to the Lord to focus on eternal things, focus on sharing the gospel with people, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar and pray and repent and make a new commitment to the Lord. Father God, I love you and I thank you for today. And I thank you for the truth of Colossians 3. 
that when we read those first four verses, Lord, I, I'm reminded that the life to come has to be the motivation to how I live this life. If not, I'm just going to go through life humdrum. I'm just going to go through life mediocre, mundane. I'm just going to exist and survive. Nothing about me will be thriving. But God, I pray for us as believers today that we would be reminded and celebrate and get so pumped up about our position in you that because we accepted you as our Savior, we're united with you. We are one with you. We've been forgiven. We're redeemed. We are sealed. We are your children, and we are citizens of heaven. And may we celebrate that. May we marvel in that and praise you for that. But God, I also pray for believers that we would become more eternally minded, that we would focus on eternal things, souls of people, and your word. May we pour your word into our life that we might become more like Christ, and may we go out and invest in people with the good news of Jesus. God, we need you today. I pray for believers who have lost their focus. May you help us regain it today. May we make a new commitment to you. And then, God, I pray for those few that raised their hand that says they're not sure of their position, that today, would you give them the courage to step out of their seats and to find their way to me up front and just say, I need to make that decision for Christ today. Give them that courage. Lord, we need you in this hour. For it's in your precious and your glorious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, listen to me. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask some deacons and their wives if they would join on the sides over here. Maybe you need just prayer today, and you want to pray with somebody, and the, maybe you feel more comfortable, ladies praying with the women, doesn't matter, but I just need some deacons and their, their wives or, and just, just kind of find themselves there. But if you need to come and repent and just ask and make a new commitment to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to join me at this altar. And if you need to know your position in Christ by accepting him, would you meet me right there and say, today is the day that I want Christ to come in. Do you respond as God would have you as we sing right now?